the David Glenn Show. Our next guest was going to be invited anyway, but Darren Vaught, you know in the movie Jerry Maguire, where one of the key characters says, you had me at hello? Unforgettable line, right? Well, Adam Amin of ESPN had me as at on his Twitter handle. <laughs> My answer is that you're overly dramatic, very snowflake-like, and you're supremely narrow-minded if you think a women's sports team having a platform means your life is somehow going to be worse. If that's what you think this country's problems are, then you're naive. See that? He was not profane. He was very level-headed, very fair-minded dare we say intellectual and frankly we would have invited him to talk about baseball nba nathan's hot dog eating contest or any other variety of things adam you had me at hello man welcome back to the david glenn show how are you <laughs> great to be back with you my friend great always good to talk to you uh tell us what is the most interesting thing i know you're a foodie but before we get to the home run derby tonight televised by espn or the nba free agency chaos or even other things I've enjoyed when you've sampled food sometimes on the air in your broadcasting life. <laughs> I am also occasionally disgusted by the con the concept of the hot dog eating contest. So there you were on the call. <laughs> Help me like it more after Joey Chestnut won his 12th title. I understand the aesthetics, my friend. I understand the uh, the concept. And, and I even understand kind of where Peter King was trying to go. I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. King had tweeted something yeah. along the lines of, like, it's gluttonous and it celebrates the worst of us and, you know, there's starving children everywhere. And I, and, I, and I get that. And I get that he's trying to make a larger point. I think he failed at it because I think it was a little bit short-sighted. And th this is the reason I feel like it's fun to be a part of these things. A, let's not get this twisted. We're not sitting here celebrating the gluttony of all of this. That's not why we're doing this. We're doing this because it's a communal activity for us. This is the one time of year for, the, for these particular competitors, it's their Super Bowl, and for us it might be the one time of year we're going to tune in to something evenly remotely like this. So for me, it's just about showcasing the people that are involved, trying to give the headlines to anybody who's watching, but also having these people understand, like, I'm not – I'd probably stop short of calling these competitors dead-on athletes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but I do feel like there's an athletic component to this. What, what these people are doing is training their bodies to withstand a physical punishment and a physical limit. And oftentimes, with that physical limit comes a mental component as well. You have to be mentally tough to force your body to do things that it's probably not used to doing or certainly not used to doing what normal people uh, would, would end up doing. So in that sense... Uh, there is a level of competitiveness and a level of athletic ability involved in this. I would stop shy of saying, uh, saying they're athletes, but they're kind-hearted people. This is their version of playing sports. Yeah. Like a lot of you guys who are listening to this show, probably like, uh, like David himself, probably a lot like me. We figured out quickly that we couldn't compete. <laughs> like, or at least I did. I did too. I figured out. Yeah, exactly. Like, I figured out I couldn't compete, so I, I broadcast. Like, that. I want to be around it. And for these particular competitors who have real jobs, they're teachers, they're bodybuilders, they're fitness coaches, believe it or not, they, just, they may just gorge themselves on this stuff as part of the competition and the physical, you know, physical limitations of all this. But in all honesty, they, they feel investment in this. And if they feel investment, it's our job to be invested in the product when we televise something, and then to disseminate the information as need be. So that's probably the most 
simple baseline argument I would make to try to get you guys to understand that this is a competition for these people. It's not a celebration of gluttony, by the way. There is a charitable element involved with it. They've donated a million and a half hot dogs the last decade. I'm not going to sit here and tell tell somebody that they're doing something wrong when they've done far more for hungry people than I ever have. Well, competitor is the perfect word to describe all this. And for those who wonder how much they know about Nathan's annual hot dog eating contest, which has become an American tradition on July 4th, do you know the names of either Joey Chestnut or Kobayashi or any combination of others? If you do, you at least know a little bit more than you think. Follow Adam Amin of ESPN on Twitter at Adam Amin. Uh, All right, last thing on this part. You are a foodie. I've seen you sample the regional foods in the broadcast booth all over the place. Have you ever attempted to even figure out how many hot dogs you could eat within the uh, allotted time limit? Ten minutes, right? I haven't haven't gone into the actual, like, uh, parameters and rules and tried to see, all right, let's see how many hot dogs and buns I can consume. I don't consume food for the the sake of competition, and and that's okay. Like I said, I I don't think you have to – you have to try it or you have to push yourself to it or, or, or try to pretend that you'd be interested in doing that. I just think it's a physical activity that yeah. some people don't. There's people that don't like golf either. Uh, so I don't, I don't know what my, uh, what my handicap <laughs> would be on the golf course because I know that it's not going to be good, so I'm not even going to bother trying most days. Uh, I've never given it a shot. At some point, I, I, maybe I'll give it a shot one day down the line. I just don't know if I've got the metabolism or legitimately – like physically and metaphorically, the stomach for it. You know, <laughs> I actually. I'm, think I'm gonna go. Let me, let me better, this out real fast. To, I think yeah. I think we, I could probably put down at least five. I think I can do at least five, maybe six. I think I could do five in ten minutes. And for the record, Adam's answer, I don't know, is isn't that really the best answer? I mean, one of my favorite <laughs> lines from the movie Animal House is when Katie tells Boone, "I'll have the doctor write you a note and say you're too well to attend." The fraternity party. I just love that line. And Adam just basically said, I'm too well to attend. The uh, exactly. I, I'll call it, but I'm not going to participate in it. Adam Amin of ESPN is joining us. All right, in the NBA, I took a July 4th break seriously thinking, it's got to be for Kawhi Leonard. Either the Lakers join forces with LeBron and AD and see how the rest of the roster shakes out, or the Raptors, where the nucleus of an NBA champion is mostly returning and Kawhi could go for back-to-back. And I just couldn't see a road for the Clippers. I don't have anything against the Clippers. And here we are on Monday, and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are both members of the L.A. Clippers. How did you see that come together? What does it say about the power of superstars in the NBA? Because this is the ninth anniversary of ESPN broadcasting the decision Mm -hmm. of LeBron James. And folks thought that was, you know, mega free agents controlling the world like puppet masters. Kawhi just kind of did that in a short period of time with uh, getting Paul George traded to the Clippers. Yeah, major uh, kind of Kaiser Sose feel to this whole thing. Yeah, right. I mean, uh, they just kind of snuck it under the radar. Uh, here's the thing. I, and, and all we have to go by, and, and when I say we, I mean any of us who's not Woj, like yeah. any of us who's not Woj or Shams or Chris Haynes or, or Michael Thompson or any of these phenomenal news breakers and beat reporters and things like that in the NBA, and there's so many great ones, all we have to go by is them. I trust them just about inherently because I'm not around these teams every day. So I trust those people to give me the information and disseminate the information as need be. So I was a little bit surprised when I had heard 
that the Clippers were out because I actually thought the Clippers were the best destination for Kawhi Leonard. I thought the money was great. It was going to be great no matter what. He was going to get his, his max deal. And the Clippers have money to spend. They invested in Patrick Beverly, so I thought they automatically got better defensively. Now, even without the Paul George element to this, I thought this would be a great spot because I really like them, uh, the Clippers, after seeing them in the playoffs last year. I love their young core. I love Shea Gildas-Alexander. I thought Danilo Gallinari continues to be a really consistent player in the NBA and probably an unsung hero after his days in New York where you know he probably got a little overexposed, but he's a really consistent player. And I thought the core of L.A. with Beverly, adding somebody like a Kawhi Leonard, you have Zubat that you got from the Clippers that was performing well late in the year. So I had some expectations thinking, okay, Kawhi might actually fit in well in Los Angeles, and it would be an easy destination for him to go. It's got the home element, and there's no LeBron factor. There's no LeBron to deal with, even though LeBron was saying he would be willing to acquiesce his role a little bit for Kawhi Leonard. I always thought the Clippers would have been a great spot. So when I hear all these writers and, and reporters say, hey, it's down to Toronto and, and the Lakers, I thought, okay, well, I guess he didn't want to go to the Clippers. That's fine. So then you start to evaluate where's the better fit. I thought it would have been Toronto. Just based on what we saw last year, you have a chance to run it back. You're going to have an appreciative fan base. I was shocked as anybody, pretty much like everybody else was, when you wake up and, and on a Saturday at like 3 in the morning or whatever it is on 4th of July weekend, it's like, hey, by the way, Kawhi's going to the Clippers, and he somehow maneuvered Paul George to go out there as well. So just the kind of ebb and flow of this was very surprising to even a lot of us who are in the league or on the periphery of the league or cover the league on a consistent basis, when we're told that it's not going to happen, that's all we have to go by. So for him to kind of pull this usual suspect's bit and be able to maneuver this the way he did, that tells you about the gravitation to pull about star players. And there's maybe, you can tell me, you know, a number here, D, I think maybe 10 to 15 gravitational pull guys in yeah. the NBA, and certainly Kawhi Leonard's one of them. Adam Amin is joining us, outstanding play-by-play man on ESPN Radio, also all over ESPN and ESPN.com. So versatile, he even called Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest on July 4th. Again, Joey Chestnut did win his 12th title in that competition. I don't. You referred earlier to us giving up on our athletic dreams. I managed to pitch in baseball into my early 20s. So I have a, there you go. I, I have a, 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 an inherent dislike of watching baseballs go over the fence <laughs> as we look forward to your employer broadcasting the home run derby tonight. But even as I joke about that, Adam, I remember, I mean, Josh Hamilton, it was 10 or so or 11 years ago, mm-hmm. I guess. The old Yankee yep. Stadium is sent out in style. I was mesmerized by that home run derby, maybe in part because we knew Josh personally, maybe because there was some history involved saying goodbye to, to Yankee Stadium. But, like, he didn't even win that year. And, and, like, that's all I remember is one of the greatest home run performances I've ever seen. What would you describe as a baseball guy as the most interesting aspect of the home run derby then or now? as uh, the worldwide leader broadcasts it starting at 8 o'clock tonight? Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's become, in a lot of people's estimation, really, the marquee event. I mean, this has become kind of like the slam dunk competition in the NBA where this is the kind of event that everybody wants to go to because it's got that, that kind of big game feel. As great as the All-Star game is, it's a wonderful production. The people at Fox do a fantastic job with it. But it doesn't really have a lot. It, it, is, it is back to being an exhibition game. And one of the things that you've lost in the last 20 years of the All-Star game is that kind of novelty feel 
about the American League playing the National League because interleague play has kind of taken that luster off of it. So this home run derby, especially with the new rules, the pace, the prize money that's involved now, uh, this has become a marquee event, and it's drawn big-name players. It's unfortunate that Christian Yelich had to back out uh, with his back issue, but I feel like this is the marquee event now, and I feel like in a modern era where home runs are king, you know, this is a home run era, home run uh, uh, records set every month, it feels like. I think we had over 1,100 in May, uh, the most in a calendar month we've ever had. So I feel like when we have that type of era of baseball, this, you know, this, this is it. It's like having a three-point contest now. When we're in an era of the NBA where it's all about three-point shooting, who's the best at doing maybe the most important thing uh, in, on the field? And right now, hitting home runs is the most important thing, it feels like, in baseball. So who's the best at it? And I think all of those elements, in a small way, have contributed to a really large buzz for what the Home Run Derby is now. His name is Adam Amin. I left this question for last just in case you want to talk long or short or not at all about it. We have a motto on our show, Adam. We like making bad people uncomfortable, but we never want to make good people uncomfortable. That's just part of the fabric of our program. I once read an article that described you as the son of Pakistani immigrants. So share as little or nothing or as much as you would like coming out of the extended July 4th weekend. What did mom or dad or even your perception through your own eyes as an American broadcaster for ESPN, uh, what do they say about the transition to this great country born so long ago, the sports aspect of it, the cultural aspect of it, or anything else that you would be comfortable sharing in the spirit of America? No, I appreciate it, man. It's a, it's a cool setup and a, and a cool concept to think about. Yeah, I, I, I've always appreciated uh, having an opportunity to do something on the 4th of July. It always kind of meant my, my kind of running joke has always been, you know, child of immigrant parents calling baseball or talking about hot dogs or whatever in America <laughs> on the 4th of July. Like, like what could be what could be more more of an American story? And I always thought it was kind of a funny, a funny line and a running joke, but it does mean a lot. You know, it means a lot to me, and I'm sure – uh, and you guys understand this, that I'm not telling you anything or your your listeners anything you don't already know being DMV people. Like, they, like it, it's a weird political climate right now. Yeah. It is an odd political climate. No matter what side of the fence and aisle you're on, I'm sure something impacts you on a weekly basis where you really have to stand up and go, man, how does this affect me? How do I think about these things? And to have a moment to think about those things I think is important. And when you have a chance to work on the 4th of July, it's, uh, you know, for me, it's important to reflect. You know, my dad passed away about, I don't know, maybe four, 15 months ago. So I can't even remember now, last year, last March. And, uh, you know, for him, it was, it was a big deal that I had this job. So anytime now uh, in a pregame situation, you know, you try to, try to have your little rituals. I'll try to talk to him. You know, I'm yep. sure a lot of people do that. Uh, with uh, with with loved ones that they that they don't have with them anymore. So for me, it's kind of cool on the Fourth of July when I'm getting ready to do this event. I'm kind of reflecting in the few moments leading up to it, or if the national anthem's going on or whatever. So to me, it still means a lot. You know, my dad split his life right down the middle between Pakistan and America. Uh, you know, was a proud United States citizen. I don't think there's anybody prouder uh, than than an immigrant who comes over and, and establishes a life here. I think there, there's a pride in in having accomplished something that big in a place like America. So I know he took a lot of pride in that, and I certainly follow suit. So uh, for me, it was, it's always cool, man. It's always uh, uh, an interesting moment to, to kind of get ready for a game, especially on a, on a national holiday in a country that, uh, you know, your, your, your dad 
had no connection to yeah. about four decades ago, and now you feel like you have a you have a little bit of investment, and and people have a little bit of investment in you as a person in this country, who's on TV, and gets a chance to do cool stuff like. Uh, like talking about home run derby or the hot dog contest or the NBA. That's great stuff. All right, Darren, when we put this in podcast format, I want Whitney Houston's Super Bowl 25 <laughs> version of God or of, of the national anthem playing under Adam's answer to our last, our last question. Uh, he is on Twitter at Adam Amin. Uh, seriously, I appreciate you just sharing those thoughts. And, and as always, thank you for the time on the David Glenn show. No worries, my friend. Always great to talk to you, DJ. You got it. 1-800-849-2761. J.P. Della Camera from French Soil, right off of calling Team USA over the Netherlands for yet another Women's World Cup title. And Adam Amin, the two guests of the day, they are in the books. That means more time for you on the other side. More time for my best and worst of the weekend. The votes are everywhere. The U.S. women's national team, led by Golden Boot winner Megan Rapino, she of the six goals, three assists, and occasionally controversial commentary. She is a best of the weekend for a large majority. She is the worst of the weekend for a smaller minority. But Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers are best of the weekend. We saw Serena Williams and other American women make great strides at Wimbledon over the weekend. The GOAT, Serena, remember, is 37. And after a complicated pregnancy and birth, remember, it has been since 2017 that she has posted one of those Grand Slam singles titles. Her last major was the 2017 Australian Open, so earlier in the calendar year. She did make the final of Wimbledon and the U.S. Open this past year, but lost in those finals. So Serena Williams joined by some others. Did you see Coco Graff? 15 15 years old she did lose earlier today spoiler alert sorry in the Wimbledon round of 16 she lost to Simona Halep who is one of the best women's tennis players in the world so nothing to be ashamed of there an amazing run from a young woman who grew up falling in love with tennis by watching Venus Williams and Serena Williams on TV she's four years old And she sees Venus and Serena, and she says, I look a little bit like them. They're really good tennis players. Can I try that sport? Well, her mom and dad, it turned out, are both athletes or were both athletes. Dad played basketball at Georgia State. Mom ran track at Florida State. So there's some good athletic DNA there. Sure enough, they not only let her start playing tennis, I think it was at six years old. She is now 15 years old and has success at the professional level. She ended up earlier in this tournament eliminating Venus Williams. I grew up falling in love with tennis because of you, but I must show you the door in the first round of the 2019 Wimbledon event. Coco Goff, Allison Risk is still alive, a 29-year-old from Pennsylvania, still alive in the women's singles bracket. Serena Williams won today. She has also moved on to the quarterfinal. She is only 11 seed because of her time away from tennis, but she does have that open era record, 23 Grand Slam singles titles. More of your best of the weekend, Sebastian Ajo and the Hurricanes. He has spoken on his Twitter account. The UFC, MLB, the PGA Tour had a 20-year-old winner, first time in his career. The NASCAR circuit had a 20-year-old winner, first time in his career. Justin Haley, the driver, and Matthew Wolf, 
the driver of a different kind. That's a golf reference. Also winners on the PGA and NASCAR circuits this weekend. The Home Run Derby is tonight. These international soccer competitions are over. We do have LeBron James in his own words from nine years ago today, one of the most highly anticipated free agency decisions in American sports history. He was taking his talents to South Beach, if you remember at the time. The number of LeBron haters dramatically increased nine years ago today. If you fit that description, you can take us into the Wayback Machine and elaborate on why. I'll tell you one part of the big three aspect of LeBron's announcement nine years ago today that is true, and another part of that same announcement that is urban legend. Your best and worst of the weekend, those NBA and other headlines, 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket in to the David Glenn Show. Gary Player joining us. This morning I did 1,300 sit-ups and crunches. Wow. I pushed 300 pounds with my legs and I ran on the treadmill. You are one of the legends of golf and you've been an inspiration as a person as well. What a nice compliment and God bless America. You're listening to the David Glenn Show. The answer to the question everybody wants to know. LeBron, what's your decision? Um, in this fall, man, it's very tough. Um, in this fall, I'm going to take my talents to South Beach and um, join the Miami Heat. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Today's the anniversary. It was nine years ago today. LeBron James, one of the most highly anticipated free agent decisions in American sports history. I do not believe that is an exaggeration. It was so big that it was nationally televised. It was so big that ESPN's Jim Gray got a one-on-one. I can still see their chairs facing each other. It was man-to-man, the conversation, but it was with much of the sports world watching. He did leave his home state of Ohio after all those years for the Cleveland Cavaliers when he jumped straight to the NBA out of high school. That alone created some LeBron James haters. Oh, you're leaving your home state? How could you possibly do that? There was another layer, though. The look-at-me presentation of it created more LeBron haters, right? It was not just that most famous phrase, and Darren has dug out of the archives a longer version of what LeBron said nine years ago today. But I'm taking my talents to South Beach. Some uh, interpret that as condescending, as arrogant. How dare you nationally televise a decision like this only to scorn the people of your home state of Ohio? Y'all remember the burning jerseys in Ohio? The Cavaliers team owner personally attacking in a public forum his star player for leaving in the manner he did leave. One of the most shocking aspects of LeBron's return to Cleveland was not the I got to bring that state, that city, that franchise a title before I get on with my life. That part was easier to see. It was going back to the same owner who had essentially cussed him out like a flea-ridden dog in the aftermath of the announcement, the decision as it was called, nine years ago today. And I think there's a third layer, if not more, to the LeBron haters who in many numbers linger even nine years later. I find LeBron easy to root for on and off the court. Most of you agree with me. But the LeBron hater ranks grew tremendously nine years ago today. As we come to your best and worst of the weekend phone calls, 1-800-849-2761. Best of the U.S.
U.S. women's national team, Megan Rapinoe, Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers, Coco Graf, Serena Williams and others from Wimbledon, Sebastian Ajo, his first public statement since signing or staying with the Carolina Hurricanes, UFC, MLB, and other calls, PGA, NASCAR, you can all jump in with your best or worst of the extended July 4th weekend right now, 1-800-849-2761. I'll quickly say this, the extra layer was the resentment about the concept of a super team. We have used the phrase big three a lot over the last decade. I'm sure somebody used the phrase big three prior to LeBron nine years ago today, inspiring the use of that phrase as he got together with his old friend Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. And yes, they did get their titles. Remember how over the top the celebration was? And this caused more resentment. Not one, not two, not three. Remember that? Oh, that's part of this cake as well. There is no doubt about it. Now, they didn't get that high in the numerical rankings, but they did win multiple titles in Miami. They did create a lot of resentment about the super team, about the Big Three concept. To this day, there's a new league called the Big Three that tries to help fill your summer sports calendar, which can get a little tumbleweed-like at times. NBA Summer League action joins Major League Baseball and then whatever is going on. Wimbledon right now, the Women's World Cup recently, the Gold Cup for men's soccer here in the CONCACAF region, and a variety of other things. You know, the fourth major of the golf calendar is next week, uh, the British Open for golf fans. They have that to look forward to in mid-July. And, of course, NFL training camps ramp up in late July. But the Big Three is a league now, and the Big Three is still a concept. The urban legend part of what was inspired nine years ago today with LeBron's announcement is that that's the first time that there was a Big Three. Like, you really are ignoring massive chapters of NBA history. If you think the Big Three concept, the phrase might be repetitive now, but the concept is not at all new. And depending how old your favorite senior citizen or someone close to that might be, how old that f person is as you ask them to reflect on their careers or their time as an NBA fan, Bill Russell, John Havlicek, and Bob Cousy, that's a heck of a big three as the Celtics just were cranking out NBA title after NBA title in the 1960s. How about Wilt Chamberlain, Jerry West, and Elgin Baylor with the Lakers of the 1970s? You could have your pick in the 80s. You could have Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and James Worthy, if you like. You could have Larry Bird, uh, McHale, and Robert Parrish, Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish, for the Celtics in the same decade, the 80s. Those were big threes. Now, whether we call them that at the time or not, some of these, of course, I've been around for, is irrelevant. The concept of the big three was not born nine years ago today. That's ridiculous. In the 90s, you could pick your favorite Michael Jordan three-peat team. Jordan, Pippen, and fill in the blank. Dennis Rodman, some would say, was the third leg of that particular tripod. How about since the turn of the century, a little Duncan, Ginobili, and Tony Parker with the San Antonio Spurs that kept cranking out titles. James, Bosch, and Wade in Miami. I am not sure, by the way, as we come to your calls, I am not sure nine years to the day after LeBron helped popularize the phrase big three or even super team more generally, I am not sure that right now there is a great fit, a great healthy fit for the big three logo. If you think it's Draymond, Clay, and Steph still at Golden State, 
I'd listen, but Clay has a torn ACL. If you think it's some combination with Kyrie and KD in Brooklyn, who's their third best player? I don't think he qualifies as a big three, whoever you think that is. But I would listen, except KD is still dealing with an Achilles injury and will be for quite some time. In L.A., you've got LeBron and A.D., but if you're trying to sell me a Danny Green or a Kyle Kuzma as the third leg of the big three, I'm not so sure, right? There might not be a great fit for the big three nine years after LeBron's famous slash infamous decision. The concept of the super team is new in one way. The concept of the big three is really not new at all. The new wrinkle with super teams is that these guys, Bill Russell was not playing puppet master in the 1960s. 70s, 80s, same thing. Those guys are not playing puppet master. There's a little bit of Kareem making his way to L.A. to help form that big three he wanted out of Milwaukee, etc. So even this has some examples from yesteryear. The more new part of the super team is that Kawhi Leonard has power puppet master style like LeBron did nine years ago today that really dwarfs almost anything we see for an individual superstar in almost any other sport that we follow are there occasional exceptions in hockey or baseball or the NFL yes there are but if you think about it in the broader sense who are the most powerful people in those other leagues not named the NBA if we made one of those lists, most powerful this or that, right, college sports or NFL or MLB, a bunch of team owners are going to be on there. Depending on the sport, the commissioner is probably going to be on there. Depending on the sport, a high-profile GM or team president who might be a puppet master in his own way might be on there. A legendary coach or two might be on there. But you're not having a bunch of star players on there when we make the powerful 20 in baseball, hockey, the NFL, or these other sports. Who are the most powerful people in the NBA? Yeah, there are some of those other folks. There are a lot of players. I don't mean a lot like 25 or 50, but I do mean a lot like, yes, Kwai, what he just did. You orchestrated the Oklahoma City Thunder, which loved Paul George. And Paul George, who loved the Oklahoma City Thunder. You are the puppet master when you can convince the L.A. Clippers in a matter of days. They didn't even know you were requesting this until Kevin Durant said no when Kawhi wanted to originally partner with KD instead of PG. In a matter of days, the Oklahoma City Thunder were, went from shocked at the idea. We don't want it. Paul George isn't on the market. What are y'all talking about? We want to build one with him and Russ. We think we have two of the best players in the NBA. Well, Kawhi told the Clippers, if you can't get KD and you can't get Paul George, I'm not coming. This story today would have been different if the Thunder and the Clippers did not work out that trade for Paul George. Kawhi wanted a different challenge, but he didn't want to go without a, a sidekick superstar. And remember, Paul George was one of the five best players in the NBA this year. He was first-team All-NBA, arguably at 29, the best year of his pretty darn impressive, I think, six-time All-Star NBA career. 1-800-849-2761. Kevin is in Burlington and wants in on best or worst of the weekend. Welcome to the program. Go right ahead. Thanks, David. Um, so I kind of want to back up a little bit to your conversation about um, women's soccer. And I'm kind of different to it. But I wanted to talk about Rapino and her timing 
with, you know, some of the choices and decisions she makes. I'm not here to say they're right or wrong. I, 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 I'm not here to have that debate because, quite frankly, it's fruitless. But they want equal pay, but yet, you know, she's doing these things that are going to bring negative attention to them, and that's the last thing they need. I wonder if she's got some uh, – if I'm another player and I'm indifferent to it and, you know, I, I don't have the same feeling she does, I might walk up to her and say, hey, look, you know, you need to back off of this a little bit. We're trying to, you know, do something different here. And I think she ch- uh, chose a bad time and a bad format to have her stance. And I just wonder how you feel about that. Well, I would ask, I would ask a question to make a comment. The comment would be, I know enough. I've, I've probably interviewed, I don't know, Darren, you could look it up, 15 of the 20-plus players on Team USA. I mean, personally, I've interviewed these people, right, including Megan Rapino on our show. And the idea that she would be alone in her fight against gender discrimination is, of course, absurd. Uh, fighting against LGBT discrimination, she has the she has everybody on that team having her back. You know the mistreatment, the bullying in modern society, even today. You know of of LGBT folks. Uh, she she has the the whole locker room with that. She has the whole locker room on. I'm not going to the bleeping White House. And who doesn't want to fight racial and social injustice against people of color? I mean, I know some Americans don't want to join her in that fight. But she is in a demographic where they're certainly agreeing with her on all of what I would say are the biggest pictures. The question I would have is that when someone says or does something in other sports that you might call outrageous, has it interrupted the economic model there? Like LeBron James, for example, has been just as critical as the cur- of the current president. Chris Paul has been critical of him. Uh, uh, Steph Curry has been critical of him. These are statements in the public forum absolutely positively let's not water it down calling out the current president of the united states i would argue when you add steve kerr of the warriors and a famous consistent critic of the current president or greg popovich of the spurs you're talking about two of the most influential coaches in the entire nba and many of the most influential players in the entire nba and of course that league routinely turns down white house invitations as by the way have college basketball programs left and right and wnba teams and the philadelphia eagles of the nfl and others i haven't seen a massive disruption of the economic model the nba continues to grow even though those players and those coaches said and did those things. Uh, The NFL, remember, in the whole Kaepernick chapter, lost some TV ratings, but when we peeled the onion a little bit, we realized that all of TV had suffered a similar ratings drop. In other words, it wasn't unique to the NFL. It was not boycotts in significant numbers. As it turned out, the NFL's TV ratings drop was barely larger than the TV industries drop as a whole, network TV, et cetera. So if there were more examples of the controversial athlete, coach, sports figure damaging the economic model, I would more believe Kevin's point. Uh, beyond that, by the way, and, and, and folks, like, you know, everybody was going to boycott Nike, and Nike's numbers kept going up. Everybody was going to boycott the NFL because of Kaepernick, and the NFL is still the greatest economic success story in the history of American sports, and it's not even close if you're willing to do your homework. So a lot of this, I don't like it, you're making it political, I can't believe you're doing this, I'll never watch you again. When I see Nike's stock price and, and profit margin 
you're wrong. When I see the continued popularity of the NFL and the NBA, uh, you know, which have had their controversial moments, you're wrong. You might wish you were right, and you might wish that they caused their economic models to crumble as you're wondering if Rapino could damage women's soccer that way. The other thing to remember very practically, wherever you stand on these issues, Megan Rapino is 34 years old and has probably played her last Women's World Cup. If we listed 100 things that will impact future sponsorship, advertising, World Cup revenue type decisions, Megan Rapino as a person doesn't crack the top 100. It's a corporate thing in America and around the world. It's how much do FIFA officials care about building the economic model behind the women's game compared to how they've already built a much larger model around the men's game. Now, the men's game is more popular. There's no, you don't have to blame FIFA for that, but have they invested themselves in building the women's game the way they have the men's game? Absolutely not, and anybody who thinks they have has no idea what they're talking about. So Megan Rapino standing up in that fight among these others domestically, but she is on her way out of the women's soccer theme scene. Is anybody Budweiser just struck a deal like in the last few days? Are they saying I don't know about that Rapino thing? I, I don't know. We gotta we gotta hold off on that big investment in the women's soccer. I, she's got purple hair. She's gay. I don't know if I can handle this stuff. No, just like those other David Tepper of the Carolina Panthers. How many people hold the title NFL team owner? Called the current president a narcissistic, demented scumbag. On the record, publicly. Is the NFL reeling because of one of their most prominent guys in America's most popular sport? Of course not. I would encourage you not to exaggerate those types of things on economic models that have a hundred variables compared to all those other variables, Megan Rapino personally and her antics, whatever you like them or not, would be kind of a crumb next to a mountain. Does it matter some in the eyes of some? Certainly fans, yes. But in that bigger economic model, wow, there's a lot more powerful forces at play than who Megan Rapino is standing up for and how she is doing it. We're back after this on the David Glenn Show. Kurt Busch is joining us, 38-year-old champion of the Daytona 500. Well, I went out with Gronk last night after uh, after we won the race. Did you really? Also, it was fun. Got about an hour's sleep. I asked him, I go, hey, when do you have to report to training camp? He goes, July. I said, well, we can't be friends because i got to <laughs> go back to racing. Stay with us on the David Glenn Show. Hey guys, David Glenn here with a quick update from our friends at Sport Clips, now with more than 70 locations all across North Carolina. Your next haircut now has a shortcut. Introducing the Sport Clips Haircuts app. Now the cut you want is just a tap away. Once you download the app, you can check in at your neighborhood Sport Clips, choose your guy smart stylist, and you're done. They text you when your stylist is almost ready, and you head to Sport Clips for that championship haircut experience as always there's no appointment needed there are sports on tv everywhere and that incomparable mvp experience complete with the legendary hot steam towel wrap that massaging shampoo and that incredibly relaxing neck and shoulder treatment well it's my favorite and among your options too just download the new sport clips app today and check in whenever you're ready you choose the cut and they cut the weight learn more today at sportclips.com 
Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. J.P. Della Camera joined us live from French soil. The U.S. women's national team is the source of a lot of best of the weekend votes. A handful of worst of the weekend votes. Megan Rapino in the center of all that. Shout out to some locals. They are truly international superstars. Abby Dahlkepper, Crystal Dunn, Sam Mewis, and Jess McDonald. You can see them, of course, playing soon again for your North Carolina Courage, the best women's club team on planet Earth. They were all a part of that Team USA that just beat Netherlands yesterday. It is four wins for the Americans in the eight Women's World Cups ever played. The men were runner-up at the Gold Cup to Mexico, the last ten regional championships for the men in that sport. In case you didn't know, five for Mexico, five for the United States of America, zero for everybody else combined. So the two CONCACAF heavyweights went head-to-head last night. I actually watched it. Uh, I enjoyed the women's match even more earlier in the day, but it was intense. It was excellent, passionate last night. The Mexicans did beat the Americans 1-0, as it turned out, in that championship match. You can jump in with your best or worst of the weekend. Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers. The pulling the plug off Zion Williamson at du- of Duke at the NBA Summer League. He's having back and knee issues. Both are described as minor but the Pelicans are just protecting their investment, pulling him out of NBA Summer League action after uh, just, what, one or two games. Steve is in Apex. Keegan is in Durham. Keegan actually saw something that was one of the most spectacular things. It's a little bit off the beaten path, but let me get to Keegan in Durham. I saw this happen, man, and I don't think I've ever seen anything like it in an MMA competition. Keegan, welcome to the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead. Thanks, DG. Yeah, it was an absolutely insane moment to watch uh, a flying knee land on somebody's head within five seconds of the bell ringing. I've and, never seen anything like and that. And he was out, like, before he hit the ground, right? Yeah, he was certainly out, which would lead me to my worst of the weekend. My best was Jorge Masvidal. My worst was Jorge Masvidal. I just did not think the last two strikes were necessary. But as he said in the press conference, that is his job. Tell me this, because I'm like a, a casual MMA observer. I've always been fascinated how it feels like nine times out of ten or more, these mixed martial artists sort of follow a code. Like if I just knocked you out, I mean, we might have been belittling each other at press conferences for a week, and I knocked you out, and I can taunt if I want, I can dance. I mean, you're laying on the ground unconscious. It feels like these big, powerful, competitive, testosterone-driven dudes somehow in the octagon, nine times out of ten or more, like they like follow the code of respect and, hey, we're warriors and I got you this time, but I'm not going to like dance on your grave. And you said his name is George Masvidal? Yeah, George he, or Jorge. Jorge and- he took the other route. Like he, he was belittling the guy that he set the record, taking him out in five seconds. And it, I just don't I, – I thought I would see more of that in MMA or UFC, but I don't see it very often. I think you will see more of it. I think the culture is slightly changing. I guess you could attribute it to the, the McGregor effect, if you will. Yeah. There, it was a purest sport from a martial uh, arts standpoint for a long time, but when the money and the revenue generation started to go up because of the smack talk and the extra drama – there kind of became a shift a little bit, you could tell, in the, in the fabric of what was happening and how these people were marketing themselves. I mean, the people, the, especially the casual fans, are kind of yeah. there for the reason casual fans are watching NASCAR. Yeah. They want to see a crash. I get it. I'm up against the clock, Keegan. Thanks for chiming in on that. I did see it. And unlike most other weekend events, you can YouTube that. It only takes five seconds, literally, to watch that knockout. We're back after this. 
Mike Lupica. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Sports used to be called the toy department, and I said, look at the political scene, and, and, and tell me that's any more real or, or more serious than what we see when people say, oh, stick to sports. Who passed that law? You're listening to the David Glenn Show. At the Women's World Cup, they divided 30 million in prize money. At the Men's World Cup, they divided 400 million. Is that gender discrimination or good old-fashioned capitalism? That with your calls next. Kevin Harlan is joining us. It was a boring game, and the guy ran out right through the formation as if he was a wide receiver <laughs> to be a part of the play. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. You always think of calling that dramatic last-second buzzer-beating shot or a touchdown pass or, or something more historic. This is the David Glenn Show. 